0: The Beauty Biz, brought to you by serial entrepreneur and Aesthetic Clinic chain founder, Esther Fieldgrass, your regular insider peek into the beauty and wellness industry. Hello all, Esther Fieldgrass here. Welcome back to The Beauty Biz, your sneak peek into the wonderful world of wellness, beauty, and aesthetics. Today, I'm joined by a very dear friend and stalwart of the aesthetics industry, Alice Hart-Davis. Alice is a journalist with over 20 years' experience in beauty and cosmetic procedures. She's a self-confessed aesthetic guinea pig, which we love, and had recently published a book and website, The Treatment's Guide, which aims to demystify the world of aesthetics and aesthetics treatments for people. Welcome, Alice. Hi, Esther. Thank you very much for having me here. So welcome. Lovely to have you here. We mainly run into each other at the various industry trade shows. So you've always struck me as someone who wants to get under the skin of those techniques and treatments that you're seeing out there. Find science behind them or looking into the science behind them. Is this fair? Could you share a little bit about your journey to here? Has aesthetics always been of
1: interest to you? Well, it has. I mean, for as long as I've known about it, because um, I was a journalist for a long time writing about other things and aesthetics just wasn't there. But then I was on the Evening Standard in the late 90s and they were always interested in everything new. And I was moving across from doing health writing there into beauty stuff. And so along with all the creams that were coming up there, everyone was talking about what people are having done. Because, you know, the, the Standard, it's all very gossipy. It's about what's going on. And what they really wanted to know is who are these doctors doing these procedures? What are the procedures? What's available? Where can you get hold of them? And I was just the right age, kind of late thirties, to be really curious about this. And with um three small children, you know, you feel you're aging much faster than you oh, perhaps yeah. are. And so the opportunity was there to start looking at these things. So that's how I began following the industry, trying to find out what was what, what it all did, um, and reporting on it and trying things out. I mean, you must agree that churn- journalism has changed beyond all mm. recognition. It has, it has, which which is a great sadness to me because it's been a fantastic business to be in all this time. But the last uh, 10 years, particularly the last five years, it's just uh, the opportunities for freelancers. I've been freelancer for 20 years, have been going downhill at a rapid rate and the people on the inside of the magazines and newspapers are so busy, um, they hardly have the time to listen to what you have to tell them. And you have to get past those editorial gatekeepers if you want to get your stories out there. So it's been increasingly frustrating, particularly writing about a field like aesthetics where there is so much going on. And having followed it for a long time, I like to think I know what makes a good story and what doesn't about what's new in aesthetics. So having a new channel through which to be able to put things out is very thrilling. I mean, I still write for the magazines, for the papers, which is brilliant. But now I've got my own channels, you know, talking about tweakments and skincare and stuff. You know, it's lovely to be able to get directly to people with the stuff I feel they want to know about. It's so interesting for me when I look at what's going on within journalism,
0: particularly in this field, because like you've almost given yourself a makeover. Mm. you know, with how you approach journalism now, as you're talking about with your book, treatments, and also with your website. Oh, I thought you meant
1: (laughs) physical terms with all the things I've done over the years. No, no, no. But just as a journalist, how Mm. you've kind of reinvented yourself. Well, I think we're all finding we have to reinvent ourselves, particularly those of us who are getting on a bit. Um, And I've seen a number of journalist colleagues, you know, move into internet-based things one way or another, whether it's blogging, vlogging, influencing, and I'd looked at that for quite a while, thinking I'm too cowardly because I'm quite shy, really, to to do all that, and being terrified of the amount you have to step up and engage with people if you do. <laughs> but you know, I've been I've been trying different businesses on the side for I don't know how long, and anyway, this now seemed to be the right time to do this, do this, also because treatments it hasn't been something that people have been really keen to talk about much before. You know, certainly 20 years ago, nobody would speak about it. 15, even 10 years ago, it was very hush-hush, very frowned on. Largely, I know, because the media sort of demonised a lot of it and loves a scare story. But uh, now it seems the stigma is falling away. People are keener to talk about everything. So the time seemed right to, to do something, to launch this whole platform. And Step up and talk about it without being torn to shreds as a result. (laughs) (laughs) I love the name tweakments. I I'm saying this
0: morning when I was quite young, my mother used to talk about a tweak here, darling, and a tweak there, and nobody'll know what you've had done. Oh well, ahead of her time. Ahead of her time. She was always one of those women. What can I say? So, I'm fascinated. What does your day look like?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, it's always different. I suppose that's the that's the thing particularly because uh, my new life seems to involve a great many different elements. So I have a small dog. I take him for a walk. I try and meditate before I do anything else in the morning. I um, might go and do some exercise. I will, some days like today, spend most of it at my desk. And now I've come out with the excitement of talking to you. (laughs) And there's a couple of press launches later, which I hope I will pop by But a lot of the time, it could be conference calls, it could be meetings in person with people, there's a lot of filming um, of content for my channels or other people's channels. Um, What else do I do? You know, going and trying new products, seeing the doctors, dermatologists, nurses, finding out what they're up to. Talking to industry groups because my audience kind of splits into the professional side of it and the consumers. So I'm trying to kind of keep up with both and explain to, to the doctors what it is that consumers want from my perspective as what you might call an, an expert patient, in that I've been a patient for a lot of these things. And I, um, so can I, I can talk about it, what it's like having these things done and being a bit scared of them all. And then Obviously, I'm trying to spend most of my time talking to normal people about what these procedures are, why the doctors are offering them, what makes a procedure good, how you choose a good practitioner, all of that. So the day involves hopping around between any of those elements at the same time as trying to keep the website going and be busy on social media. On is, all is there one aspects. area you really prefer? Yeah, I love I love creating the content, talking to people giving talks, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've even got quite keen on the on the filming because I've got a lovely team I work with who just chase me around asking me questions. So rather than having to sit there and pontificate to, uh, to a camera, which I would find quite difficult, they just literally say, what about this? What about that? And I talk to them as we go along. So I love all that. But also I love meeting real people, hearing what they actually want rather than because you you know with editorial stuff you can sit there in meetings having ideas about what you think people want at least with social media people are asking you very directly what do you do about this thing what do you do about a saggy neck what do you do about under eyes and then you know you you know where you need to put the information just put it out there so they can can yeah
0: I mean your career spans I hate to say decades decades yeah (laughs) oh Oh. oh, there's the
1: Um but what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice. Um, uh, there's there's the old standard of um if a job's worth doing it's worth doing properly though everything's so busy these days and none of us want to be perfectionists so often it's a question of just getting things done. Um there, there's also the do as you would be done by, you know, being nice to people. Mm-hmm. Um, which are not really so much advice, it's more kind of life advice, isn't it? But I certainly find as a journalist, uh, with all my pals in journalism over the last 30 years, we all have had phases where we've lost our jobs and been freelance or been re-employed with the chance to employ other people. So it's always worth being nice to all your friends because you never know which ones are going to be in that position of employing or which ones you're, you know, you're then going to be em- employed back and if you fall out with everybody along the way well it makes it all the worse it's difficult can be difficult Hmm. so what piece of advice
0: would you give to anybody that wants to get into journalism
1: Mm, I think you should have a blog to get your name and writing style out there in what and preferably have a niche to be to be in because it's really hard to get your voice heard today everybody's everybody's shouting away I don't, I don't know if you saw that exhibition on the the art of the selfie or whatever it was last yes. year at the I found that terrifying it was this huge room in where was it, it was the the, the galleries wasn't it um, and and every wall was covered with projections of matchbox sized maybe a bit bigger people talking into their cameras, um, you know, broadcasting their, their, their YouTube channels. So standing in the middle of that with, with millions of people all shouting at once just made you realise <laughs> well, it, was, it was just that whole feeling of being inside the whole internet at once. So if you're one of those voices and you're trying to get into journalism and you're trying to get your voice heard, um, have an outlet for it, then target the people you want to go and work for, let them know you exist, offer to go and help them. All the usual. I mean, I'd say go and try an intern on your favorite publication, except that's those are really competitive. But, you know, if you're up for it, that's the way to go about it. But um, the difficult thing I find with advising anyone to go anywhere near journalism now is that it's more of a, a sort of lifestyle choice rather than a serious career. It, it's quite hard to, you know, unless you're going to get on somebody's proper training program um, and be nurtured into a career within it, you know, the chances of chances of managing what a lot of us used to in the past, of getting employed in a proper Fleet Street job, which gives you a kind of salary that you can really get by on. Those jobs seem to be rather hard to find now. But do you think that's really quite past
0: that the future is actually much more where people are going on and they're they're basically doing their
1: instagrams and their, their blogging. yeah, it's all it's all multifaceted, isn't it? Yeah. No one's going to get stuck in one old career like we used to imagine we would thirty years ago. but um, but yeah, it's to come up with a bunch of options where you can pursue all the threads of the things you're interested in, um and find a way to make it work for you and 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 use your initiative because often, the younger people have entirely fresh ideas and have less fear about saying, would this work, let's give it a try and see, rather than thinking, oh, we have to do things a certain way.
0: Yeah. I mean, you were talking about selfies just now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been talking for the last few years about what the public are actually doing for their selfies Ah. and how they're having their faces changed and made Mm. so that when they're taking their selfies, it all looks amazing but beyond that, what is happening? They're visualizing
1: themselves, having the treatments. Yes, yes. And it's all changing. It's like it's a totally different world out there. It is. I mean, this is the stigma falling away, isn't it? And and people being happy to talk about what they're doing and how, though I do think that conversation has got quite a lot further to go. I mean, it's one of my key sort of driving things with this book. I want to open up the whole conversation around um tweakments of whatever sort whether those are advanced facials whether it's needle-led procedures because I mean you and I will talk about this and have done for years but for most people it's quite a big step to moving into this whole area of treatment and then to sharing about it well I I think I think there's an age divide on this isn't exactly because younger people seem to have no fear it's a, it's a fashion option I want those lips I want those cheeks I know I can get it done. Whereas anyone who's, what would you say, 35 plus, 45 plus, 40 plus, plus. is much more cautious about engaging with it, about the potential judgment. They may get back negative judgment from their friends if they talk about it. I
0: also think that there's also a difference between those that are married and those that aren't.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I find that the married couples, it's usually the husband says no. Oh, yes. Because he thinks, well, the thing is, I mean, this, this this comes back to the, well, we haven't talked about it yet, but it comes back to the often cited thing that you don't notice good work, you only notice the bad work. Exactly. And all those husbands are terrified that if their wives step anywhere near a cosmetic practitioner, they will end up like some of the freaks they've seen in yeah. what have they done to their faces type programs or websites and you know you and I know it's possible to have a great deal of good work done that goes totally undetected because it just makes people look better. So um, Alice delving into aesthetics more now we've seen that the
0: industry explode over the last five years we're seeing more and more people opening clinics more and more people being open to aesthetic treatments could you talk a bit about
1: what are the changes that you've noticed? Well, like you say, I mean, we've seen much more of it all, basically. We've seen more clinics. We've seen people starting to talk about visiting those clinics and what they're having done, which people never used to. It all used to be so secretive. And uh, the, the changes are that that stigma is beginning to fall away, Um Because the thing is, people are very curious about these treatments, these tweakments, and they're more openly curious than they have been, which is great. Because, I mean, what I've really noticed over the past, I don't know, 15 years maybe, is that the questions I get asked have really changed. It always used to be, what's the best face cream? Completely unanswerable question. (laughs) But around five, six years ago, it started being... Would Botox work for me? It would be a very discreet question. there wouldn't be anybody else in hearing, but they they'd want to ask it. Um, and now people are much more wised up about the various options. They come and ask me about particular kinds of treatments, and they really want to know, and they are contemplating trying them because there was some research that came out about six years ago or something showing that when women were thinking about aesthetic treatment, they would wait. Years and years and years before proceeding because they were so unsure about many aspects of it, whereas I think that gap has come right down now, and I think there's an age divide in this, isn't there that you'll fi- where where we've got younger patients, they see these things as a as a, as a fashion statement almost they want those lips, they want those cheeks, and they will know where they can go and get it, whereas for the older. Consumer, the older patient who's 40 plus, they're much more hesitant. They're very cautious about what they might want done, about how their friends might judge them, how their partner might judge them. I think what's also interesting is the actually
0: amount of research people do today, which is where your treatments and your guide Mm. comes in. People look to you for to say, this is the place to go. This is where you need to be having it done. This person's doing this. This person's doing that. I mean...
1: That's very much your judgment call. It's really tricky, isn't it? I mean, because one wants to drive them to... so That's really tricky because what you want to do is send them to someone who is a safe pair of hands, who has experience and who knows how to manage not just the procedures but any possible complications that come along afterwards. Because, you know, along with this explosion of more clinics offering treatments there's an awful lot of places that i feel shouldn't be offering these treatments at all Mm -hmm. which are you know the beauty salons the hairdressers the heaven forbid botox parties yeah it's all going on isn't it and and that's where a lot of it seems to go wrong for people and that's where the negative stories start coming out in the press because these awful things have happened to it's usually these girls who have gone along and been persuaded, perhaps against their better judgment, to have a treatment. It's been done by somebody who doesn't have proper qualifications, who doesn't use quality products, who doesn't know how to manage things if it goes wrong. When those lips start swelling up, if they've injected maybe a bit of filler into a blood vessel... The practitioner vanishes or the practitioner tells them to go to a and E. A and e doesn't know what to do with it because <laughs> A&E nurses are not trained in aesthetic procedures. You know, I've got a doctor friend who's oh. trying to do a pilot scheme to sort of help with that, certainly in her local hospital, because she's fed up with a number of people who eventually get directed to her. Girls with lips so swollen, they are in danger of, you know, that, that awful necrosis where yeah, the tissue terrible. dies off. Um, really scary, really painful and, and 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 just because it's they've gone off to somebody who didn't know what they were doing, who shouldn't have been doing those procedures in the first place. Talking about this and the nurses,
0: etc. um, there's been such a growth in the industry. I'd like to talk to you a bit about safety in the industry. Mm. I know we kind of touched on it. I know within my own clinics that my cosmetic doctors are seeing a lot of patients that are coming in for corrections where they've been to these terrible parties. You mm. know And I worry about price because I often think people go there because it's cheap. Yeah. And I often say to people, well,
1: how much is your face worth? That's such a difficult question. I think particularly for the younger patient because they are always going to choose on price. They haven't got so much money and they think it's the same stuff. They don't have the education around all these products to know to distinguish between a good product and a bad product, a good practitioner and a bad practitioner. I mean, it's great that the Department of Health has finally got a campaign out to improve awareness around this, but it's only, I feel it's only touching the tip of the iceberg because it is saying basically do your research, keep yourself safe. But because the regulations are all so lax around this whole area, it's very hard for people to know, particularly younger girls who just want to go out and get the look of the fillers and their friend had it done so surely wherever their friend went was fine it's hard for them to bother to do the research and, and and know where to go and how to decide between you know a practitioner who's looking great on instagram which is increasingly where young people do their research facebook and instagram and a serious medical clinic that's been doing it for years maybe it looks a bit stuffy maybe it doesn't look as much fun to them as the Instagram practitioner, so it, it's a really hard message to get across because it all sounds a bit boring, like be safe, do your research. But but like you say, you you can't put a price on, you know, your, your face is not the area to start economising with. It, it really isn't. It really is it not. It really isn't. But, you know, when Superdrug started doing um, fillers and Botox last year, yeah. you know, I had a number of pe- friends that sort are of saying to me, hey, should I go there because, you know, I know what I want in terms of Um, what areas I need injecting. So, you know, completely go there. They are using experienced um, aesthetic nurses. They are only using well-accredited products. They won't treat anybody under 25. There's an obligatory cooling off thing. They're doing everything by the book. And yet superdrugs had a lot of flack for democratising this stuff too much, bringing these um, procedures to the high street, where you think, well, they're in the high street anyway. They're going on underground in the back rooms at hairdressers and places that shouldn't be doing it at all. I'd
0: much rather somebody actually go somewhere like Superdrug than actually go to a hairdresser and have it done. You know, I, I I think that's much more preferential. But, you know, when you go back to Instagram, what mm. a lot of people don't realise is the amount of filters that are used. <laughs> on these they yeah. people actually look like this, you know. And I go, I
1: Yes, and, and, and I hear so much from nurses and doctors that they get patients coming in to see them, particularly younger ones. They show them a picture on the phone and say, Doctor, I want to look like this. I don't look like this anymore. This was only six months ago. What's happened? The doctor looks at it has to take a bit of a deep breath and say you never actually looked like that this is an altered photograph it's got a filter on it or it's the angle or it's the you know it is terrifying the amount of um, body dysmorphia there is among the sort of patient group that seeks cosmetic treatment and that's a really hard thing for practitioners to to handle I mean how do you manage it when people are coming in well my doctors are really tough about
0: things like this mm. funny story here I was talking to one of my plastic surgeons and he had somebody coming in for a rhinoplasty, actually a guy. And the guy had paid and he'd had the, like the two, three weeks cooling off period and he was in the surgery before he was just going to go down under the anaesthetic and he says to the doctor, let me just show you this. And he whips out a picture, I think it was of Justin Timberlake, and he says, I want my nose <laughs> like this. And my, doc- my doctor, my plastic surgeon, turns around and says... Are you serious? And the guy said, Yes. He said, I'm very sorry. I cannot perform your procedure. You need to go to somewhere else. The guy was in the theatre, ready oh. to have this done. Fantastic surgeon walked out. He says, I'm not going to do somebody like that. That's totally irresponsible.
1: And, and had the guy not thought <laughs> was... about this before he wound up in the theatre? I've no I mean, idea. It's a conversation the... for the consultation, oh, isn't it? You, yes. you know, like, like if you do not look like Justin Tim Lake or Claudia Schiffer or so, Giselle or whatever, whatever. You, you are not going to look like them after no. surgery. There's a lot involved. In the, mm. But I said, you didn't. He said, I did. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this.
0: He said, it's not ethical. I went, oh, okay. You know, but
1: you know tricky, it's standard. tricky. Standards. But I'm 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 glad to hear you keep, you keep the standards because because <laughs> the other thing doctors say is it, it, cosmetic doctors say it's, it's incredibly difficult because particularly if they've got a younger patient who is coming in for lip fillers, and they have to try and talk them down and talk sense to them about proportion and about do they really want to have needles and fillers stuck in their lips now age 20 which they're going to presumably want to carry on doing for the next 20, 40, 50 years, though who knows what will have come along by then Ah, and, and yet if they turn them down flat, if they send them away with nothing, then these girls are even more likely to go off to a cheaper more easygoing practitioner elsewhere Absolutely, but you know Fillers actually have a fashion.
0: And I was fascinated this year. I was down, as were you, in Monaco at the anti-aging conference. And I was looking around and, and a big portion of the show is actually, you know, geared towards fillers. And this year, more than ever, I noticed that they were actually piling in the fillers into people's faces. Whereas normally you'd use maybe one or two syringes. They were mm-hmm. using five syringes or more okay. to totally change people's shapes of faces.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, this is not so much the cheeks and lips, but this is real the, facial reshaping, the, isn't it? Total
0: f- facial reshaping, Yeah, which is a trend. And I don't know whether it's something that the big cosmetic companies, you know, the, the Alligans and the Galdermas of this world are pushing to sell more product or whether the top injectors have come across across this and think oh we can change somebody's face with this and I looked at it and I thought two things one these guys are really great at what they do but somebody else trying to imitate this it could go horribly wrong couldn't horribly it? wrong number one yeah number two having all that put in your face some people's skin actually eats this hyaluronic acid yes quicker than others what's it going to look like in eight months time six months time you know, is it still going to be even? Are you going to need to
1: keep refilling it up to that amount? Mm. And it really kind of bothered me. That's a really good point. I, Because it was a very new protocol, wasn't it, when all this yeah. suddenly arrived. It was about 18 months ago. Because um, I went off and had a massive filler done about when were we last March 2018 um, with a lovely practitioner who is usually incredibly conservative about his use of filler. And he suddenly said, right, come in and we'll do quite a lot. Um, And so I thought that was a story. I wrote it up for for The Times. And I had 10 mils, which I would have thought before that, I would have run screaming at the very idea. But because I've known him a long time, I trusted him on, on this. And yeah, it was one each in my temples, one each in the cheeks, three in the chin, one eye, the corner of the jaw, one milliliter each, these are, and then a more hydrating mil spread around in the lips. And in, and it looked fine and interesting. And, but I, I got a lot of questions, as you say, afterwards, people saying, how is that going to hold up? Plus, it's very expensive. It's like, it's very like, expensive. like four grand. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing, I went back to do some pictures uh, one year on. And... Although a lot of the volume has fallen out from the middle of my face, I'm sitting here pulling a, a long, lugubrious face, as <laughs> you can see, so it started dropping down around the, round the the cheeks. The the chin and the jaw, which don't get so much movement, they've held up reasonably well. So that's really interesting to see. I've got to put this up on my blog sometime, just, just to show, yeah. them, to be able to demonstrate that obviously some of it goes, but some of it doesn't because I've got, the sort of face that, like you say, I do scoff up pyuronic acid quite fast. Uh, I think it's—I don't know—metabolism, exercise, that kind of thing. I don't think you know. I think if if you your body runs that bit faster, you you can go through it faster. Faster. Is... <laughs> I mean, the, the new fillers for the jawline, for example, will oh, yes. last longer. Yes. So
0: they're actually made to last longer. New formulations. Yeah. Whereas yeah. central face, mid face, not quite so long. Yeah. So, but how much is one prepared to pay?
1: Yeah, on a nine-month yearly basis to just keep filling it up. Absolutely, because you will know with your central London clinics there there are some patients who just want things done the whole time and you end up having to do a lot of things for skin quality and you can't just keep giving them filler and, 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 and toxins. But then there are other people who want... Um, the biggest appreciable change from the smallest amount of treatment, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, true and and you've got a balance. You've got a balance both of both of those things. Because um, I find one really interesting thing at the moment is the the injectable um, skin conditioning treatments, what, like Profilo, Profilo exactly, or. Volite or wrestling skin boosters. Yeah. So, obviously, Profilo needs fewer injections. So, that for me is the absolute winner as far as that, <laughs> that, that one is Then Do you want 200 jams in your face or do you want five for each side? You think I'll go for the, I'll yeah, go for the that's, five?
0: That's, for people that are listening but don't know about yes, this, sorry. Profilo is not a filler. Profilo is actually a hydrator. So, yes. it's put in under the skin, five areas, or five just all drops, as uh, Alice is
1: talking about but what it does is it enhances the texture of the skin. Mm, it's amazing, isn't it? So it's a, a biostimulator they're allowed to call it because it does actually promote the growth of collagen and elastin too, I think in yes. the, in the skin. And and if you are getting older and if you've got to the stage where your skin has started to go that sort of flat, dry, older persons <laughs> like well you know what I mean, you know yeah. where, where the light doesn't bounce off it and you think oh great. Having that hydration beneath the surface, or a you hardly need any moisturiser, but b it gives the skin back some of that glow. Which that's one of those kind of money can't pay yes. for things that I think is you know it's an expensive treatment, but I think in terms of the reviving effect it has on skin quality, once you started to see that skin quality dropping off, it's it's thrilling. For anybody that's thinking about this, that likes the idea of it's a two treatment session. Yes, so you need to know that. And, and as you say, it, it doesn't provide any filling. It does not puff up the face. It's just, it's like, like injectable moisturiser, isn't it?
0: So that's all for this episode of The Beauty Biz. Please don't forget to tune in for part two with Alice Hart-Davis and myself. And please don't forget to subscribe and review. Until next time, bye. The Beauty Biz with Esther Fieldgrass. Follow EF Medispa on Instagram. And to find
1: out more about us, go to efmedispa.com. Produced by the podcast company.